Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Alta Gas Second Quarter 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. My name is Anas, and I'll be your operator for today's call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. If you have any difficulties during the conference, please press star, then zero for operator assistance at any time. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. As a reminder, this conference call is being broadcast live on the internet and recorded. I would now like to turn the conference call over to Adam McKnight, Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Mr. McKnight. Thanks, Hannes. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for the Alta Gas's second quarter 2021 financial results conference call. Speaking on the call this morning will be Randy Crawford, President and Chief Executive Officer, James Harbelis, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, uh, we're also joined here this morning by Randy Toon, Executive Vice President and President of our Midstream Business, Lou Jenkins, Executive Vice President President of our Utilities Business, and John Morrison, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations and Corporate Development. Consistent with prior quarters, in addition to the second quarter press release, financial statements, and MD&A that were released earlier today, we've also published a first quarter earnings summary presentation. This presentation walks through the quarter and highlight and highlight some of the variances and non-recurring items that we would assume would be helpful for the market to understand, and it's available on our website under our events and presentations tab. As always, today's prepared remarks will be followed by an analyst question and answer period. I'll remind everyone that we will be available after the call for any follow-up or detailed modeling questions. We'll proceed on the basis that everyone has taken the opportunity to review the press release uh, and our first quarter results. And for the structure of the call, we'll start with, uh, with Randy Crawford to provide some comments on our second quarter performance and the progress on our strategic priorities, followed by James Harbelis, providing more detailed walkthrough of our financial results, near-term outlook and guidance, and then we'll leave plenty of uh, time at the end for a Q&A. Before we begin, we'll also remind everyone that we will refer to forward-looking information on today's call. This information is subject to certain risks and uncertainties as outlined in the forward-looking information disclosure on slide two of our investor presentation, which can be found on our website and more fully within our public disclosure filings on both the EDGAR and the CR systems. And with that, I'll now turn the call over to Randy. Thank you, Adam, and good morning, everyone. We are pleased to announce that AltaGas delivers strong second quarter results, continue to execute on our strategic plan, and positioned ourselves to meet the company's 2021 and longer-term growth plans. Our operating results were in line with our expectations for the quarter and reflect the benefit of operating a diversified set of long-life infrastructure assets that are positioned to provide resilient and durable value for our shareholders. Despite ongoing headwinds associated with the U.S. dollar exchange rate, we delivered normalized earnings per share growth of 33% normalized. EBITDA growth of 12% and FFO growth of 10% year over year. Our U.S. utility business, underpinned by our continued investment to update our pipeline network to reduce emissions 
along with updated rates from our D.C. and Maryland jurisdictions, delivered 35% year-over-year EBITDA growth in local currency. These actions will result in better customer outcomes and provide reduced operating costs. Providing safe and reliable and affordable service to our customers across all five jurisdictions in which we operate is paramount. The sustainable operational efficiencies that we achieve are driving improved results and better outcomes for our customers. New customer growth at WGL continues to track ahead of our expectations and is in line with the robust population growth we've seen in the DMV area over the past decade, which has been higher than the national average by nearly 25% since 2010. On July 1st, we filed a new rate case at one of our Alaska utilities, Sinza, requesting a U.S. $1.9 million rate increase and is a continuation of our ongoing plan to remain active in keeping our rates up to date. We are also pleased to make headway in promoting combined heat and power to larger commercial and industrial customers during the quarter, which is advancing our lower carbon focus that is part of our climate business plan. In the years ahead, we will continue to operate with the high degree of regulatory, capital, and cost discipline that we believe is synonymous with delivering the best customer and stakeholder outcomes, which should also deliver steady normalized EPS and FFO per share growth. We believe this disciplined approach provides the foundation to support Altagas' long-term strategic plan and will continue to reward all of our stakeholders. We continue to build a world-class midstream and global export business that delivered another quarter of record volumes across the platform. Our utilities continue to achieve sustainable operational efficiencies and improve financial performance as we prioritize the health and safety of our employees, our customers, and our stakeholders. Our midstream business is performing incredibly well with record volumes in our global export businesses and solid volume growth across our entire platform. Our global export business shipped a record 90,106 barrels a day of North American propane and butane to Asia during the second quarter. Gas processing and fractionation volumes through our facilities were up 12% and 35% year-over-year respectively and continues to demonstrate that our platform is well-positioned for future of the Montagne. The outlook for Western Canadian supply growth looks increasingly positive, and we are witnessing strong, well-capitalized producer activity around our Montagne-focused platform in northeastern BC. During the quarter, we exported 15 very large gas carriers to Asia, with Ferndale exceeding 50,000 barrels a day in June, a new record for that terminal. Also during the quarter, we closed the purchase of approximately 1,600 acres of land adjacent to Ferndale LPG export facility. Incremental land will provide Petrogas with enhanced logistic flexibility and optionality to advance our promising future energy development initiatives that are aligned with the larger energy transition. From a strategic standpoint, Altagas entered into a seven-year time charter with a three-year optional extension for two new dual-fuel BLGCs that will go into service in late 2023 and early 2024. The contract extends Altagas's reach into the Asian market for its products and further de-risk Altagas's long-term export strategy. The procurement of the dedicated vessels will reduce shipping costs by approximately 25% compared to prevailing market rates and reduce pricing volatility. The vessels can carry 15% larger cargoes than the standard BLGC. As such, the vessel's deployment will drive reduced cost and provide better environmental outcomes. Heading into the second half of the year, 
we remain confident we will achieve our increased guidance ranges, and we remain on target to reduce our net debt to normalize EBITDA ratio by up to 5.5x over the course of 2021, and we'll continue to remain focused on further de-risking of the platform. Longer term, we will continue to operate long-life infrastructure assets that deliver durable and growing EPS and FFO per share for today and tomorrow, and provide the foundation for steady dividend growth and provide the opportunity for ongoing capital appreciation. As we have said in the past, we continue to believe that natural gas will play a critical role in the energy transition as the fuel of the future. Our assets are long life and provide a great deal of future optionality. These assets provide the critical infrastructure needed to deliver low carbon natural gas today while providing a foundation for delivery of carbon-free solutions in the years ahead, including renewable gas and hydrogen. And through this transition, we will tirelessly advocate for the best outcomes for the consumer and ensure that, our, that we are focused on delivering long-term sustainability in all forms, including economic, safety, and environmental. And with that, I will turn the call over to James to dig into the operational and financial results of the quarter in more detail. Thank you, Randy, and good morning, everyone. Overall, the second quarter was a relatively clean quarter for us, and results were right in line with our expectations. Strong performance across all of our core businesses and the significant year-over-year EPS and FFO per share growth clearly demonstrates the visibility and growth within our utilities and midstream businesses and the continued execution of our strategic priorities. Petrogas continues to be a strong contributor for our integrated midstream business as it provides increased scale and optionality along our midstream value chain that realize continued volume growth across the entire platform. Our utilities results were driven by our continued investment across our networks, acute cost discipline, and fewer COVID-19 headwinds. During the second quarter of 2021, we delivered normalized EPS of $0.08 cents compared to $0.06 cents in the second quarter of 2020, representing a 33% year-over-year increase. Normalized FFO per share of $0.56 cents compared to $0.51 cents in the second quarter of 2020, representing a 10% year-over-year increase. And normalized EBITDA of $230 million compared to $206 million in the second quarter of 2020, representing a 12% year-over-year increase. Our utility results reflected the normal seasonal slowdown in energy demand that is associated with the spring and summer months and reported normalized EBITDA of $99 million compared to $80 million in Q2 2020, representing a 24% increase year over year. Strong operating performance across the segment was somewhat offset by a $9 million unfavorable move in the US to Canadian dollar exchange rate. In local currency, EBITDA was up $28 million or 35% year over year. Utility segment growth continues to be underpinned by our disciplined investment in our distribution systems through our previously approved ARP programs. These programs are focused on driving better customer and environmental outcomes through improved safety and reliability, reduced leak rates, and lower operating costs. WGL had another solid quarter with normalized EBITDA of $56 million compared to $44 million in Q2 2020. Excluding the $5 million negative impact of foreign exchange, WGL's EBITDA increased approximately $17 million or 39% year-over-year in local currency. Notable drivers include the rate cases at D.C. and Maryland, which became effective Q2 
and late Q1, respectively, the ongoing capital investment across the network and lower COVID-19-related impacts on usage and late fees. This was partially offset by lower asset optimization revenue. As Randy mentioned, we continue to make solid progress towards earning our allowed returns at WGL through a combination of capital, rates, and cost discipline, which you continue to see reflected in our quarterly results. Demco and NSTARS combined normalized EBITDA was $33 million in the second quarter, down $5 million from the same period last year, entirely as a result of the negative impact of foreign exchange. Stronger customer growth and usage was offset by higher GNA costs associated with higher property taxes and employee benefits. And finally, normalized EBITDA from retail energy marketing business was $10 million in the quarter, an increase of $11 million year over year, driven by favorable gas and power margins and increased demand from CNI customers. Within our midstream segment, we reported $142 million of normalized EBITDA in the second quarter, compared to $111 million in the second quarter of 2020, which represented a 28% year-over-year increase. EBITDA from global exports was approximately $70 million during the second quarter, reflecting the record shipments of LPGs to Asia across 15 VLGCs from the Rippet and Ferndale terminals. Record export volumes were underpinned by strong operational efficiencies across the two terminals, demonstrating the value of our expanded midstream operations and the integration of the petrogas assets as we continue to optimize our operations and logistics networks and embrace best practices across the Altagas and petrogas teams. Our processing and fractionation business also realized strong volume growth across the midstream platform with gas processing up 12% year-over-year and fractionation volumes up 35% year-over-year, driven by increasing producer activity on the back of improving fundamentals and commodity prices and a number of customers growing into their contractual commitments. We continue to benefit from our strong footprint in the heart of Motney, which we believe will continue to outpace development in other parts of the basin. Processing and fractionation volumes at our non-Montney facilities were also up year over year, driven by increasing drilling activity and the strengthening in commodity prices. We remain focused on actively de-risking the midstream platform and reducing commodity price exposure and volatility. We had approximately 84% of our frac exposed volumes for the quarter hedged at $25 a barrel. Altagas remains well hedged through the balance of 2021 with approximately 79% of 2021 total expected global export volumes told or collectively hedged. This includes an average FEI to North American financial hedge price of approximately 1079 US per barrel for both propane and butane. We also have 98% of our expected frac exposed volumes hedged at 2570. In the corporate segment, strong contributions from higher generation at Blythe was more than offset by higher GNA costs, largely associated with higher long-term incentive plan costs due to the significant increase in our share price during the quarter and year to date. Depreciation amortization expense for the second quarter of 2021 was $108 million compared to $93 million for the same period in 2020. The increase was mainly due to new assets placed in service and the consolidation of the petrogas assets. Interest expense of $69 million 
was down slightly over last year's at $71 million. As a result of lower average interest rates and a lower U.S. dollar to Canadian dollar exchange rate, which were partially offset by higher average debt balances. We continue to make significant progress towards strengthening our financial position and improving our leverage ratios through 2021, which include reducing that debt by more than $630 million year-to-date, which was supported by the sale of the non-core U.S. transportation and storage business on April 23rd. This was an important milestone as it reflected the continuation of our strategy and ongoing efforts to de-risk the platform and deleverage the balance sheet. We are reiterating the increased guidance that we made concurrent with first quarter results, which includes 165 to 180 cents for normalized EPS and 1.475 billion to 1.525 billion for 2021 normalized EBITDA. Our 2021 CapEx outlook remains unchanged at approximately $910 million. As Randy mentioned, our corporate strategy remains unchanged as we are focused on operating long-life infrastructure assets that provide resilient and durable value for our stakeholders. Our focus continues to be steady returns that compound value over time. That concludes our prepared remarks, and we would be happy to turn it over to the operator for Q&A. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we now conduct the analyst question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press star, then the number two. There will be a brief pause while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Darius Lozny with Bank of America. Darius, please go ahead. Hi, good morning, and thank you for taking my questions. Um, my first one is I wanted to follow up on, um, you mentioned uh, chartering a couple of vessels for your export strategy. I was just curious how you're thinking about that um, on a go-forward go basis. Are you going to be looking to potentially acquire more um more capacity to vertically integrate the logistics side of things a little bit and also um, how could how could you possibly or how might you um, do that um, in terms of transportation of NGL to the Ferndale and Ripit facilities? Um, I know you, you've mentioned in the past that logistics uh, had been an issue. So just curious how you're thinking about that on a prospective basis. Well, good morning. Thank, thank you for the question. I, you know, when we looked at the the value proposition of the two ships, uh, you know, our first driver was the commitment that it's going to reduce our shipping costs by, by 25%. So that's, that's key to uh, improving our, our in, uh, being a low-cost shipper uh, and for our customers and, and continuing to uh, improve our gross margin. So, but overall, we feel that this is a strategic to control more of the value chain um, to the markets and, and essentially reaching further into the market on behalf of our customers going forward. So it's, 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 the two ships are, are a small part of that, and it's the beginning of, of, of us creating optionality for ourselves and our customers going forward. Okay, great. Thanks, thanks very much for that detail. And one more, if I could, I'm just curious about your uh, power assets. Um, I, I know you've uh, clearly said in the past that those are considered non-core. We've been seeing a lot of, uh, of news in California specifically about resource adequacy and uh, things uh, along those lines. So just curious how those, um, how you're thinking about uh, uh, plans for those power assets. 
um, either now or, or in the intermediate term. Yeah, it's uh, James here, uh, Darius. I mean, obviously, we our, our thinking hasn't changed around Blythe. I mean, the power segment has been identified as something that's on core. That being said, though, the the assets performing extremely well. It's being you know second year in a row here where it's being dispatched uh, significantly higher than where it has been historically, and it's obviously helping to meet some of the power shortages in California. You know, we think that the asset has uh, has a bright future in terms of in terms of uh, it being able to, to meet California's power needs so we're not in a in a rush to sell it but we've said that if uh, if the right value comes along and it fully reflects the intrinsic value of that asset and it's accretive to our debt metrics we, we would consider it but but nothing in the plans right now okay thanks very much I'll turn it back thank you your next question comes from Jeremy Tonet with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Jeremy. Um, on the land acquisition that you that you announced today, um, the 1,600-acre land, can you speak on the potential energy transition opportunities? Sure. I could be a little color on that. I mean, besides the sizable breadth of the land, you know, um, it has access to hydropower. And it's in close proximity to uh, carbon capture opportunities. So, but, you know, in the short run, we plan to use the land to expand our rail system, handle um, you know, to handle unit trains, which will increase efficiency, lower our logistics costs. In the longer term, you know, we're exploring you know, all of the low emissions opportunities, including construction of hydrogen facilities that will enhance our product mix and further position all the gas as a Oh, yeah, we become an energy export leader off the West Coast of North America. And I'm confident that the culture of innovation at Alta Gas and our track record of building challenging and complicated projects will position us for, to succeed. But this is going to take several years, right? And it's going to require some governmental policy support. But there's no debate, you know, we're heading into a lower carbon world. And, you know, overall, our asset base uh, is well positioned uh, to be at the forefront, in my judgment, of this energy transition. Got it. Thank you so much. Um, and then one more, just on the on the export side, um, seems like you've been able to capitalize on that pretty well. Um, just wondering, you know, how the synergies for the uh, Petrogas integration and the optimization across Ripit and Ferndale have been tracking against uh, your initial expectations. Yeah, I'm going to let Randy Tim comment on that because his team has done just an excellent job, and it's exceeding our expectations, quite frankly. And you can see it in, in the results. Um, yeah, that the uh, overall efficiency and flexibility and synergies have been you know, tremendous, and the team's hitting on all cylinders. So, Randy, can I have? Uh, hi, Jeremy. Um, yeah, uh, you know, we initially uh, were targeting $30 million worth of synergies uh, for the year, and, and we are, are expected to uh, uh, do more than that. Um, you know, the two businesses come together. Uh, we've really identified a lot of great things to, to, to do, and uh, you can see it with our, our export capability through both Ferndale and, and Ripit, and, and uh, we think that we're going to do even more in the second half of this year. So. All right, got it. Thank you. I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, first question continues on the uh, export theme. You know, with the increasing volumes and activity that we're seeing in Northeast BC, 
Um, has that driven any incremental conversations on additional contracting or tolling of RIPIT that could uh, support an expansion? You, you know, thank, Rob, good morning, and thank, thank you for the question. Um, you know, like, um, conversations with producers are, are, are constructive, right, and we speak to them regularly, uh, and we are focused on securing additional tolling volumes at RIPIT and Ferndale. So we're currently at 35% at RIPIT, and we're targeting higher higher percentages. But, but really, the recent strengthening of fundamentals, improving commodity prices are starting to support the conversation, and, and we are seeing increased interest uh, from aggregators uh, who want to participate on the upside of having direct access to the Asian market. So, you know, in summary, I, Rob, I'll tell you that the industry consolidation is resulting in stronger counterparties, larger balance sheets, capable of taking long-term commitments. So, you know, and with our greater scale and, and the tools in our toolbox around logistics and supply chain, uh, we're optimistic that we'll continue to, to provide that access and increase uh, uh, tolling uh, volumes into the future. All right, appreciate that. And then just uh, kind of a, uh, a question on the similar vein. When we take a look at the synergies of having two export terminals on the West Coast, you know, are, are you able to move barrels in between the two facilities? Like, for instance, if we're seeing kind of fires impacting DC Rail, could you ship them down to Ferndale? And, you know, the fact that you do have Ferndale, does that push off the need to expand RIPID as you could further optimize your existing capital first? Yeah, I mean, I think that you're spot on. And look, the fact is, is even, you know, we will move uh, ships between the two ports um, from the rail logistics. If we have some challenges and we, we've had, um, you know, with, with some of the uh, you know, CNN and, and some of the fires, but overall our ability to, to reroute those uh, to our facilities and, and that optionality has, has created significant benefits and opportunities. And we're just scratching the surface. So, Randy, did you want to add anything more to that? Yeah, like as as we talked about before, you know, RIPIT can do more than uh, you know we're currently doing the 50,000 barrels a day. We we think we can get that up above, uh, closer to say 70,000 barrels a day, and it's all about logistics. And uh, you know, the petrogas and altigas assets combined have made us more efficient on the logistics front. And so we are going to you know continue to to optimize both terminals to to increase export volumes. You know, and I'll add that just just the. You know, two products also you know, provides us uh, a, another layer of um, optimization uh, of our assets, right? depending on the availability uh, and, and the logistics associated with that. So um, really a lot, of, a lot of value to the scale and optionality. So thank you for the question. I appreciate the colors. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Cavalier with CIBC. Please go ahead. Hi, Rob Catalia from CIBC. I wondered if you could um, provide your initial thoughts on how the Blueberry River First Nation case can impact both uh, current operations and um, future development in the Montney, uh, not just for the industry, but also for your uh, your specific uh, strategy. Yeah. Well, um, Alta Gas has had a just excellent stakeholder relationships uh, with, with all the First Nations, and particularly um, the Blueberry. Um, and so, you know, clearly, you know, our asset position, having existing capacity, uh, and to be able to take you know, the growing volumes is certainly a, something of value to us, uh, and, and just it makes us distinctive. So we think it's somewhat of a competitive advantage. Clearly, as uh, as we work uh, with all of our stakeholders um, going forward, you know, we think that you know, our, our constructive relationships are not going to impact uh, a lot of our future growth. But I think it's important to understand that. 
it's, it's from our perspective, um, when you have access to land and, and someone's land, that it's it's important to um, to have an excellent relationship with them and to, and to manage the environmental impacts along the way. So we have, I think that we have an excellent relationship, and I I think that that's how we would, are going to progress going forward. We got a color, Randy. You want to? Uh, no, like Randy said, I think our stakeholder relations group has done a great job uh, in Northeast BC and you know even around Ripit and. And we know that we uh, we have to work uh, with the uh, the First Nations to do any kind of development, and we and we've always done that. So we don't think that this uh, this ruling is going to have a major impact to our business. And, and we think we can help our producers and those in the North Mountain uh, you know, to continue to um, to develop, um, and, and we can leverage those strong relationships uh, going forward. Okay, uh, for the sake of further clarity, uh, the timing of the purchase of the 1,600 acres at Ferndale and the timing of the Blueberry River case, that's just coincidental and it doesn't reflect the pivot of your focus, um, perhaps porting more emphasis on Ferndale? No, no, that is, those are just coincidental timing. No, right. we've, we've been focused on optimizing Ferndale uh, and our core competency around uh, exporting, uh, and we're very bullish on, on North Montany and the development there too. So. I, you know, no change in the fact of our integrated strategy overall. Yeah, that's what I thought. And just last question for me then is on the retail. Um, that's quite a uh, notable improvement, the results there year over year. Um, can you speak a little bit more to the drivers there and whether you perceive that as being um, sustainable um, over the next 12 months? Sure. Blue, I'll, I'll let you comment on that. If, if, if yeah, have. of course. Yeah, good question, Rob. Um, notably, the challenge uh, we had in Q2 of last year was rela related to that was the first full, full quarter where we were facing the COVID impact. And so, of course, our usage expectations and profiles didn't match our, um, didn't match our transportation and uh, uh, purchase profiles. So as we've gotten more confident in those usage profiles, et cetera, what you see this year is a better management and more um, and more reflective of our expectations as we work our way through COVID. So really the change was just coming into the year with the expectations of COVID and being able to manage around that usage profile. So yes, we do think um, we're, we're slightly above budget for the year and we expect that to look the same as we, we go throughout the year. So will it continue? Yes, we think so. We just, we weren't surprised by a full quarter of COVID uh, this year. Right, so it's more to do with COVID uh, effects coming off than it has to do with the winter storm effect and maybe incentivizing um, uh, more demand for retail products. Correct. So, you know, demand has been good. Yeah, I, I would I would characterize there was minimal, if any, impact from the winter storm activity. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Your next question comes from Ben Pham with BMO. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks, good morning. I wanted to go back on some of your uh, your comments on, on the new acreage with hydrogen. Uh, it, it's, it's a thought process that I wanted to clarify that you would not be getting in the production of hydrogen. It's it's more to, to benefit from, from that market expanding and it's more the exportation or exportation of hydrogen that you would be looking at. Yeah, this is yeah, this is uh, a longer-term vision, Ben. In terms of uh, all of the attributes uh, and our additional land 
purchase. Um, and so the fact that, as I mentioned in, in, in my previous answers and some of the comments, some of the attributes associated with our access to ports, um, uh, hydropower, green power, uh, as well as pipeline access there, that we have a vision in the long run. Again, this is this is a long-term transition, right? And we're we're looking at that into the future, um, keeping our eye on the fact that you know, we have a, a, a strong track record of, of building and challenging another project. So again, long-term, nothing nothing immediate, no significant dollars to invest, but just wanted to make sure that investors understood the attributes of this and how we're looking at the future energy transitions and, and serving our customer needs uh, in Asia to help them transition to cleaner burning fuels and reduce carbon emissions. Okay. There was a uh, thanks, Red Ronnie. And there's there's also mention of uh, Alberta Power Press is benefiting uh, uh, your results. Uh, have, haven't been hearing that uh, that price impact you for some time. Is that is that just simply that your coal gen plants uh, output into the market? Are you are you just moving some of the volumes internally to to the external market? Yeah, I think the, the answer is yes, but Randy, I'll let you comment about that specifically. Yeah, that's just uh, with our, our cogen facilities at Harmattan Complex. Uh, we've been able to, to take advantage of the the, uh, the high power price in in, uh, in Alberta. And do you, do you usually sell that to the spot market, or are you using that? Do you typically use that, or do you typically use that internally? Well, those cogens are largely to provide power to Harmattan. Uh, and then with the excess volume we, we sell into the into the grid on a spot basis. Okay. Okay. And then maybe la my last question is on on the, the the spread. Like, what's what's been impacting some of the the softness in in the spread? Do you think it's the supply driven, demand driven combination? Well, I we're look we we continue to see robust demand. Uh, in from Asia and certainly you know, the local domestic prices, but that but the spreads uh, you know continue to you know, they come in a bit here, but it, you can see it in the forward um, outlook um, that they they continue to be stronger on 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 on, on what we expect and in, in, in it's seeing uh, increasing uh, demand uh, going forward. So and you got to remember, Ben, as you know, I mean our structural advantage around on the, uh, being off the north uh, west coast of North America. Provides a significant transportation advantage, um, and so we're, you know, we continue to uh, to optimize that going forward. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Great. Good morning. Um, I'm just wondering. You know, you've talked a bunch about. Things, especially the export side exceeding expectations, some of the integration and the synergies. And so I'm just kind of wondering, as you were thinking about your guidance, um, what are some of the headwinds that you're seeing um, for the second half of the year, things that you're cautious about um, just in terms of maintaining guidance versus either changing it or even just a directional guide? Well, Robert, thanks for the question. As you know, we, we increased our guidance in, in the first quarter, and we're coming into the second quarter, and I think the team has done an excellent job uh, continuing to execute, as I said in my prepared remarks. And, and while we have some currency headwinds and such, I, you know, I would be disappointed if we're not in the high end of, of our guidance range uh, going forward. Um, so clearly we're just in the second half. The team is executing quite clearly and doing a great job. Um, so, again, we'll, we'll – we can revisit that, but overall, as each quarter goes by, but overall, we're um, we're well positioned 
to get into the high end of our guidance range. James, did you want to give many of the other headwinds? Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to add, like, obviously, Randy touched on one of the headwinds that's uh, been creating volatility for us and everyone else that has U.S. dollar-denominated revenues and, and uh, EBITDA. Um, so that that's something that we keep our eye on for the back half of the year. But, but right now, propane spreads have, have been tracking below where they were when we rolled out our guidance. So obviously, as uh, as Q3 unfolds and, and we get into a, another winter season, uh, we'll see if those rebound and, and if they create a bit of a tailwind for us. But right now, those are headwinds that we need to take into account with respect to the current guidance range. Got it. Um, but I thought when you redid your guidance range, didn't you remark your FX assumption? And aren't we now yeah, yeah, we did. That? So that's a, that's a tailwind, actually, isn't it, at this point? Flight. Well, so, yeah, so Robert, I mean, obviously, when we remarked it in the first quarter, um, you know, we saw it go from what we had in our budget at 132 down to 126. We've seen a further decline in the five bank forecast, uh, 123, and I think the slot right now is about 124, 125. So if it stays there uh, in the back half of the year, then I agree with you, it would become a tailwind. Um, but when we set, you know, when we, when we reforecasted the business in the quarter, um, the exchange rate between Q1 and Q2 has gone down. Got it. Okay. So is this maybe just you know a little bit with respect to Randy's disappointed if you're not at the high end, just trying to stay conservative given you just increased guidance a quarter ago. Randy, yeah. yep. That's right. I think we're trying. Look, we want to be clear, and uh, we will visit these each quarter. But you know, I stand by my comment, and the team's doing an excellent job hitting on all cylinders. So, yeah. You know. Got it. Um, if I can just quickly come back to the question around uh, vertical integration and chartering the vessels, how far down the value chain would you be willing to go? Would you be willing to get into receiving terminals on the other side? I, no, I'm not just, I think what we want to be able to do is we're building relationships with our customers, uh, global customers across the world and into Asia. And so our ability to be have direct access uh, Think about it as extending your pipeline right into the market areas. I think where we would be uh, focusing in uh, on our value chain. I think it adds value to our customers as well and be a risk platform. So not a lot further than that, I don't believe. Got it. If I can just finish one last question here. You know, we've seen strong asset valuations in private markets. Um, is that enticing enough for you to, to look to transact on assets maybe that you wouldn't have considered or is your focus pretty squarely at this point on the sale of, of MVP as it relates to more material dispositions? Sure. sure. We're, I think we've demonstrated as a management team that we are focused on creating shareholder value and that we will recycle capital uh, and we will grow our core assets uh, as we have stated. So, you know, to the, we have our non-core assets and, we, and to the extent that uh, other assets that uh, don't meet necessarily our growth profile or that are better to be monetized and recycled uh, to these tremendous organic growth uh, opportunities we have both in the midstream and utility. We'll look at that, right? But we're not going to, we're in a position where we continue to improve uh, the strength of our balance sheet, focus on uh, driving organic growth uh, going forward and, and a long, durable, resilient model, uh, increasing our dividends uh, over time. So I guess the short answer is, Robert, we'll look at all of that. Right, and uh, but overall, our focus is continuing to invest in these core businesses and, and demonstrate the growth that we have. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Your next question comes from Patrick Kenny with National Bank. Please go ahead. Yeah. Good morning, guys. Um, 
just maybe back to your GMP business here and, and the continued trend of consolidation across the EMP sector, uh, specifically in, in the money region. And given where commodity prices are at these days, I'm just curious how far out we might be in terms of needing to expand capacity at you know either North Pine, Townsend, or potentially needing to add infrastructure across you know other assets in your portfolio. Sure. No, great question, Will. The fortunate part, as, as we've said in the past, that we've made significant investments in our midstream infrastructure, over $2 billion uh, investing in our, in obviously our export capabilities as well as our, our fractionation and processing assets. So our focus has been, and we're in an enviable position, right, because we can move additional products at the capacity that we have already invested in. So that puts us in a really strong position overall. And while we work with our customers and to stay out in front of this as they you know, develop their world-class resource, you know, we have the opportunity to do module, other expansion opportunities with the facilities that we have. So we'll continue to work with our customers, um, but right now I think uh, given the fact that we have available opportunities and we can connect our producers to these valued global and domestic markets, um, bodes well for our growth and our profitability into the future. So, uh, you know, there will be a time, there will be need for additional assets, uh, and we'll be, we stand ready um, to be there. Okay, great. Thanks for that. And then um, within the utilities, just curious if you might be working on any emerging opportunities on the RNG front, just with respect to, you know, connecting into new supplies there and whether or not this might represent a little bit of upside to that, uh, you know, 8% rate base CAGR outlook. Yeah, no, no, excellent point. Well, I'll let you come in, but yeah, the team is, is doing, looking at all of those and we've talked a lot about that and and we're bringing some of our first RNG into the system. So, Blue, I'll let you comment on, on the activities. There. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Randy. Yeah, Patrick, good question. So, we signed a recent small deal with uh, a local RNG facility building the facilities and pipeline connections to uh, deliver gas to that facility and, of course, take RNG from the facility. Uh, we are scrubbing several others and are working actively across the region uh, for those opportunities. So, yes, we're optimistic that we'll, we'll uh, have more uh, to come and more announcements as we go. Uh, some of those are in fairly early stages, but yes, we think there's some upside around RNG over time. Okay, that's great. I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. The last question comes from Linda Azubiel with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, just wanted to follow up again on uh, your intriguing um, uh, extending into uh, vessels uh, opportunity and uh, the optionality around that. Um, uh, you mentioned that it is the beginning of you creating optionality. I'm wondering if there might be the potential to rent additional vessels uh, and um, if you can expand on that comment. And then uh, as a, a second part to that question, um, might your optionality extend uh, a little bit upstream as well or into other marketing type opportunities? Thank you, Linda. Thank you for the question. Um, the first part of your question about these, the ships and additional opportunities and the optionality is we're starting here and we think this makes, makes good sense for the company. It's a small aspect of our overall volumes that we're moving. Um, but if you think about what I mentioned on our structural advantage, a 10-day um, transportation to the open waters of the Pacific, to the growing markets of Asia, China, and India as well. 
I mean, this really does, and you highlight, create tremendous optionality for ourselves and for our customers, and to be able to get them access you know, to these growing markets. Um, so I think it will ultimately right, allow us, as you said, even further upstream. So as we as we optimize uh, our footprint and 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 focus on our leading export footprint that's extremely valuable to the robust Asian market, I believe it'll also provide opportunities further upstream, right, to bring on more product, more more investments. Uh, in the basin as well. So, yes, it's all a, a calculated and coordinated strategy and steps that we're taking, and uh, we're excited about those. And Randy and Ken Wentworth and the team uh, are doing an excellent job and, and looking uh, forward as well to creating more value uh, with maximizing the latent capacity that we have in these tremendous port assets. So, thank you for the question. Thank you. And just as a follow-on uh, with respect to creating optionality and accessing end markets, um, you've done a great job of um, expanding uh, access to North American markets to, to global markets. But but what about getting a little bit into upgrading, as some of your peers have, uh, and uh, accessing new markets uh, through that, uh, whether it be uh, propane or butane or, or other products being uh, partially upgraded? Yeah. I think that I think we certainly, when we are shipping to the global markets, we're, we're getting up some of that into upgrading and into P, you know, the PDH facilities. But you know, our overall focus right now is to maximize the flow of the propane and butane to, to our customers and such. And so, well, we'll look upstream at different types of investments right now. I think to, when I look at our ability to provide almost 100, well, we have capacity up in excess of 130,000 barrels to when the, to, to global access markets you know across the world right as opposed to domestic markets alone i think is really valuable now and i think that's where our focus is is, is more on, on on connecting the growth that's going on in asia um you know, with, with the basin um but again we'll look at those things linda we're early on uh and and as we look at refining that product and if we can do upgrades uh, the team is extremely um nimble and entrepreneurial and, and we'll look at that right now our focus is just maximizing uh, the capacity uh, and getting our customers connected to those markets thank you this concludes the q a portion of today's call i will now turn the call back to mr mcknight thanks Anis, and thank you everyone once again for joining our call today and for your interest in ulta gas just as a reminder, the IR team will be available after the call for any follow-up questions that you might have. That concludes our call this morning. I hope everyone enjoys the rest of their day. You may now disconnect your phone lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.